Hello ladies and gentlemen, it's Toby Haydock here, uh, that fellow who is destined to languish in the footnotes of Doctor Who history, just above the man who stapled the Doctor Who comic strips that were done in booklet form and given away with multi-packs of Golden Wonder Crisps in 1986, uh, and just below the person whose job it was to tell Emrys Jones that he'd just recorded an entire episode of The Mind Robber with some spittle in the corner of his mouth and to offer him a hanky way too late. Uh, as you'll notice, uh, I hopefully rather wittily and self-deprecatingly referred to myself in the first podcast of this ilk uh, as uh, the closest thing Doctor Who has to a Zebdlist celebrity thought that was just quite sort of witty and humble uh, and it's now a line that has been used to actually advertise me and this on the Big Finish website which suggests that uh, my joke was actually true and has made me feel loathed so thanks for that anyway in uh, my latest quest for your Approbation, which I'm clearly never going to get. I've managed to uh, hook up with a Doctor Who writer. Yes, last time we had some people from the Sylvester McCoy era of the show. Now we have one individual who played a key role in a late Tom Baker story. I met him in in a in a pub. Hello, I was in a pub, but uh, the music was noisy and probably breached copyright, so we are in a popular sandwich emporium, uh, boutique, uh, where I've just had a crayfish and avocado, and my guest has had uh, some vegetarian sushi. But I'm going to ask my guest who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Uh, I'm Andrew Smith. I wrote Full Circle for uh, the TV series. And we're recording a podcast, I believe. We are, we are. But um, obviously you're on the Full Circle DVD talking about Full Circle, so we might, we might come from left field. You're a policeman, Andrew. How do you, um, how do you balance the fact that you are an artistic um, uh, writer of fiction and then somebody who does a day job that would scare the living daylights out of most of us? No, uh, they, are, they are two kind of separate lives. It does feel at the moment as if they're two very separate lives, doing the work for Big Finish as well. Um, if you want to know the thing that links them, the thing that got me into policing, the thing that they've got in common is an interest in human behaviour. You certainly, uh, you know, writing is about discovering it through the writing, I suppose, and uh, being a police officer, especially in my early days, uh, was very much about seeing every side of human nature, the best and the worst. Well, that's an interesting thing because when I, because it's safe to say that we're sort of mates now, aren't we? And we go out and we meet up for drinks and things. As a result of you, I remember I was walking up a uh, Great Ancote Street in Manchester, and you tweeted me, and I went, "Ask the bloke at full circle." Um, but I knew you were a policeman, and I sort of thought, "Oh, I don't know if I'll get on with him because all policemen are right wing, and and, and 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 you know, you have all those preconceptions that we've talked about before I started um, recording." Um, and yet, what it seems to me, where you come from, which is an interesting thing that one doesn't expect from a policeman, is that, yes, the humanity of your job is part of the appeal of it. But I wondered, therefore, how you switched that off when you have to do the very professional things that you have to do. Uh, in, in policing, you yeah. mean? Um, 
Well, I suppose, and, uh, and we, we were talking earlier about uh, I guess it's, it's just this thing, some of the incidents that you go to, that I think before you join the police, you wonder, will you be able to deal with it? So, uh, dead bodies, basically, and serious injury and that sort of thing. And uh, you, you, you don't really switch yourself off. You just get professional and you deal with it. And you find out by experiencing it for the first time in the job, in different ways, you know, whether you can cope with it, and uh, uh, I found out I could. I was, I was, I was all right with it, while uh, again trying to be as humane uh, as I could as well, because we, you know, we have been talking, it's all about uh, dealing with murders and then having to deal with the victims or dealing with sudden deaths or giving a death message to a wife whose husband, the last conversation they had was a blazing row in the morning and that, that sort of thing. Um, it's not about switching off. It's about empathising with who you're dealing with uh, and, yeah, being as humane as you can and trying to make things as easy for people in dif- difficult circumstances. And, of course, while you were becoming the policeman and quite a senior policeman that you are, um, you you sort of disappeared from Doctor Who. And now you've come back and embraced it so much that you... And my first introduction to you was on the DVD of Full Circle, in which you're very candid and very interesting and, I think, great commentary and great documentary. Uh, but prior to that, you'd been this, oh, nobody ever knew what happened to him. Did you consciously withdraw or did just people not ever get in touch? Um... It wasn't a conscious thing. I, I, I moved on to do policing, which is something I wanted to do. It was one of my uh, career, serious career options, even when I was at school. Um, went into it and just put everything into it. Um, and it's a job... Uh, I, I mean, for, for years and years, it was something that I was generally working quite long hours doing whatever bit of the police I was in. Uh, and, and having a really good time, very lucky with the places that I went to. Um, but just felt that I'd, I'd moved on. I was still writing, principally writing for myself. I've always felt compelled to write, and there's so many sort of half-finished stories all over the place in various media over the years, in notebooks, jotters, typewritten pieces, and then moving into the, uh, the computer age in uh, the late 90s, putting stories on floppy disks. Um, um, but, yeah, then, yeah, basically just almost forgetting um, uh, that, I, that I'd done it and for, forgetting the experience of it um, and, until pretty much the, the DVD came round um, and then being at the convention where I was approached by Big Finish to write for them which was perfect timing really because I'd moved into uh, a job at a rank where actually my hours were more sensible and I could actually work to some kind of a timetable where I could work to a deadline and, and deliver uh, professionally and actually keep that promise of a deadline, really, which uh, is important. Now, and one thing that we have sort of seen is that, you know, you can obviously talk to Doctor Who fans and at conventions and in interviews about the fact that you have this dual life, life as a policeman. I'm curious as to know, as you go into work and they say, oh, Sarge, or whatever, um, have you been writing about Silurians today? I mean, do, do, do your colleagues know of your, your Doctor Who history and now present? Uh, over the years, generally not. Um, uh, more people know now because the thing is I have to declare it because I have to de- it's a business interest um, so it's it's another income so I have to declare it and have it approved um, 
by, by the police service that it's not not the script, but the fact that I'm engaged in writing and uh, that it's consistent with my job as a police officer and there isn't uh, uh, a, a conflict of interest or whatever. But um, there, there are a few of my colleagues know now because it's quite a, a smaller unit that I'm working on now. And there, there are a few remarks about it. Um, uh, I'm, I'm told there's a big fan in, I was told uh, last week there's a big fan in the building who's very keen to speak to me that's the first time that's happened <laughs> <laughs> so, so basically if ever Eric Saywood is investigated for murder the, you'll have to steer clear of that job yeah I, I won't be doing that <laughs> <laughs> so, how, so did the big finish involvement did that come through being at a convention yeah, I was at uh, a Glasgow Doctor Who convention, my first one in, I think, 30 years. Um, uh, it was a uh, Glasgow Doctor Who Army of Guests convention in, I think, 2009. And, um, yeah, David Richardson had a word uh, uh, and mentioned, first of all, that he'd heard that I'd uh, been writing another story for the series that hadn't gone uh, to production, that had been commissioned but not gone to production, which was First and Tarans. Uh, and I almost shot myself in the foot at that point by saying, well, actually, I don't think the BBC would let you do it because it's about the origins of the Centaurans, and they're obviously in the series now. But uh, anyway, so we had a, a chat about it, and then shortly after, David got in touch with me and asked me if I'd like to write a companion chronicle, at which I, I got very excited and at the same time very nervous. <laughs> and so we have to, because obviously part of this podcast is that uh, we have to get an anecdote from every... Um, on-screen story of Doctor Who and so obviously we have to talk about Full Circle um, not that I don't want to, it's a wonderful story um, but I'm trying to think of something that we can do that maybe wasn't on the DVD, so when, when you were writing it, what was the difference between the characters that you wrote and the eventual casting was there anyone that you thought, oh that wasn't quite how I expected them to be Oh, I honestly, honestly can't think. The, th- the thing is, the thing is, the thing has been out there for so long that even if I did think of them differently, I, I, I struggle to think how they they would have been in my head. Uh, but you've re- you've, re- you've recently, haven't you, got back in touch with Richard Willis, who was Varsh, who lives in Canada? Did you did you go and see him? Was that right? Yeah, I was on holiday there uh, a couple of years ago, and we met up in, um, uh, in a sandwich bar on Bloor Street. Uh, it, oh, it's terrific to see him again, and he's acting out there and in the states, keeping himself busy. Um, uh, yeah, and I've, I've been in touch uh, with Bernard Padden recently as well. We played uh, Tyloss, I'm hoping to meet up with him soon. Uh, that'd be good. Ah, well, my first ever stand-up gig. Here's a fact for fans: is that my first ever stand-up gig? I shared the stage with an actor called Vincent Kelly, who revealed as the night went on, and most of my stand-up was involved with Doctor Who, <laughs> turned out to be Bernard Padden. Uh, and oh. my first ever stand-up gig was uh, was on the same bill as Bernard Padden. Oh, right. uh, so, uh, well, maybe when you meet up, we should all... Anyway, that's yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a thing for we'll do when the microphone is off. Um, now, so, OK, now we've I've lulled you into a false sense of security. Um... Uh, Blue Box Boy is obviously a book by Matthew Waterhouse that you have read and are in. Uh, d- does does it tally with your memories of the time? Not entirely. <laughs> <laughs> no, not entirely. I, I got I got quite annoyed the first time I read that and bits of it. Um, it's it's a strange book uh, for for a number of reasons. It, it, it's funny. Let, let's just say his, his memory. Um, 
uh, his memory lets him down from time to time around some, some details. But, um, uh, you know, at points he, he includes me in stories against Tom Baker and Peter Grimway that, that I, I didn't appreciate that, to be honest with you. Um, uh, but again, he's, you know, you know uh, he, he doesn't say anything bad about me as such. It's just I see there are a couple of anecdotes he tells um, uh, about, well, you, well, uses me in circumstances that I don't remember um, against Tom or against Peter. For instance, saying that at one point uh, Tom shouted about doing this story by this uh, spotty faced boy. Uh, and then having Peter point out to Tom, oh, you do know he's up in the gallery listening to this. And I, I, I think if that had happened, certainly if I'd been around, I would, I would have remembered it. But uh, I've, got, I've got no recollection of that. And there are other things where he, there are factual inaccuracies. Um, he, he describes both of us lying on the grass, sort of looking up at the clouds, and, and I was quizzing him with my encyclopedic knowledge of Doctor Who. My knowledge of Doctor Who was good, but it wasn't encyclopedic, and I... Uh, I'm sure we didn't do that. In fact, I don't even remember having a conversation with him about being fans of the show because at the time I wanted to establish myself there as basically the writer, not as a fan. Because unlike unlike today, it, it wasn't de rigueur to be a fan of the show and working for it. Um, and I, you know, my thing was to be a professional writer, not to be, uh, if you if you like the equivalent of a Doctor Who fan that won a prize. Um, and I wanted to learn while I, while I was there as well. So um, I kind of, yeah, try to play down uh, any suggestion that I was, if you like, a, 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 just a, a fan of the show. Really excited to be there. Well, here's the thing, because let's not underestimate that you were, you know, young for a television writer of anything, mm. let alone young for writing for the thing that you loved as a kid. I still get a giddy frisson when I stand next to a bloke who played a Vord. You wrote for Doctor Who and you were a Doctor Who fan. Um, so how, I mean, what was life like? Do, do you remember going home and telling your parents, you know, I've written for Doctor Who, it's going to be on, it's going to be on the telly? I remember um, uh, getting the phone call that, that meant the, the gig was on which was after I'd, I'd, I'd gone down to London to meet Chris not expecting to be commissioned and then being commissioned for the first episode writing that um, sending it off and the, the, gig, the gig was basically we'll see what we think and then of the first episode script and then get back to you uh, and I remember being in the kitchen and the phone rang about a week after I'd sent the script back and it was Chris saying yeah we love it. We like to commission the other three episodes. I'm having a little dance around and, a, and punching there, and I, I couldn't couldn't believe it. It was uh, absolutely fantastic. Then cracked on getting the job done. But uh, but I do remember. I've got a very vivid memory of uh, I was in Glasgow one weekend and then coming home, uh, and I, I just I don't know why. I've got a very vivid memory of standing on the platform at our Girl Street station and thinking if the little boy who'd been watching John Pertwee had thought. A few years later, he'd be writing for Doctor Who. He wouldn't have believed it. It was, uh, you know, that that was incredible. But uh, uh, I, I don't remember that sort of feeling actually in the studio. I remember thinking, "Oh, the TARDIS is made of wood. <laughs> That's the TARDIS console. The TARDIS console is made of wood." That's an abiding memory on me. It, it, it looks uh, it looked a bit unreal. It looked a bit fake when you stood next to it. But. Um, 
uh, yeah, I, I don't remember too many moments of, of thinking, oh, I'm in the TARDIS or anything like that. Um, but I, do, I do remember thinking, God, these are the scenes that I've, uh, that, that I've written about. And the, uh, uh, the, 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 the cargo hold or whatever it was of, of the Starliner that had the sign next to the big door that the Marshmen opened saying... Uh, not to be opened until Planetfall, which actually, of course, is a line in the script, and seeing that on the wall and thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, this is it. This is uh, what I've described, and it's uh, it's there all around me. And how often do you... I mean, it's a... Because uh, I must say, my Doctor Who scarf, for example, when it first came out, I was mentally proud and curious and cringed at the bits I didn't like, and I copied it over for somebody the other day, and I couldn't bear to listen to it. It made me feel physically sick. Do, 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 I mean, is there ever a moment where you go, oh, there's nobody here. I think I'm going to watch Full Circle. <laughs> no. Um, no, I haven't. Had to, I don't know when's the last time I watched it on my own. But, um, have your wife and kids seen it? They have. And, and, um, I've got two daughters, Amy and Jenny, who are uh, ten, and Jenny, in a couple of weeks, is seven. And... Uh, it was quite nice the first time Amy saw it because I'd, I'd just returned from recording the video interview for the Full Circle DVD. And now that, that was 2007, so she was five. And um, it's kind of, what have you been doing, Daddy? It's a, uh, we've been talking about my Doctor Who story. I'm kind of explaining to her that I'd written a Doctor Who story because she was into it then. The show had been back for a couple of years. And... Um, uh, sat down and she watched the first episode and absolutely rapt. And when the Marshmen came out of the swamp, she ran away screaming. I thought, fantastic, that's my girl. And she loved it and she went on to watch the rest of it. But that was, a, that was the first time uh, I played it for a while because, oh that was right, that was a DVD copy that I'd been given ahead of the interview. Um, also I got the VHS copies as well, but I hadn't seen it quite a few years, apart from watching it on the DVD commentary. But even then, there were a couple of times in the DVD commentary where I stopped talking because I was, I was looking and thinking, I, I can't remember what this scene is about. Um, not too many. It is fairly well, I must it, you know, don't deny it, it's fairly well ingrained on the memory. But, um, uh, no, that, that, it had been until um, the DVD commentary came about. I hadn't, hadn't seen it for quite a while. You needed a moderator. That's what you needed for the commentary. Yes. Uh, um, and when you talk about that ending to episode one, which is, I think, one of the all-time classic Doctor Who cliffhangers, did you lucked out with Peter Grimwade, would you say? Uh, lucked out big time with Peter Grimwade. It, I mean, the whole thing looks so good. Uh, and also the film cameraman, Max Samet, uh, who really sticks in my head. I was so pleased that he was on the, uh, uh, on the DVD uh, documentary as well. Um, I almost don't know why he, he, he really sticks in my head as, I mean so in control and directing things uh, alongside Peter Grimwood of course um, at Black Park and we're doing the location filming and it, again it, it just looked sumptuous didn't it it uh, looked really good and we were lucky with the weather all the sorts of things you can't control as well but, uh, but I remember when the last scene was filmed I was in the control gallery and uh, uh, Peter Peter Grimwood the director turned round to me and, and said what do you think is it is uh, you know is, is it what you imagined and I just said oh far better and, and it was it, it, it really uh, I, I thought looked good it flattered what I'd written um, and yeah yeah very lucky and I have to ask and I'll probably sound like a broken record when I cover this era of the show but one cannot talk to somebody who worked on Doc 2 in this period and not ask about John Nathan Turner uh, 
I thought I thought he was a, a brilliant guy. Uh, it's, it's he and Chris who'd given me the job, um, and he's very complimentary. You know, he, he phoned me at home to thank me for some stuff I did around cutting scenes when we're running out of time uh, on a studio day. Um, oh, and something else, I tell you, he. Um, he was very aware of the fact I was interested in the technical side of TV as well, and he helped me with that. Uh, when we were in the studio, he, um, he invited me to go and watch with uh, Terence Studley the editing of Megalos, so I could see that process happening, um, and made sure that I also saw the bits of the technical process happening. Um, I went to Matthew's costume fitting for Adric uh, as well. And then, he again, a, a lovely thing that he did um, was uh, we had... Back home in Glasgow, we had uh, an insurance man who'd, who'd come round every Friday, a uh, uh, really nice guy, who mentioned, uh, it, we mentioned to him that, you know, I was, I was doing this Doctor Who, my parents did, and um, he mentioned that his nephew was a big Doctor Who fan. He also suffered from Down syndrome. Um, and, and I looked into that and researched and what it was and around life expectancy, the, you know, the bigger health issues around it. Um, and I was down in the studio shortly after, saw John and I mentioned this to him uh, and he said I've got an idea and went and got a copy of the Doctor Who annual that hadn't come out yet it was about a month away from being published uh, got the cast to sign that and gave me a Polaroid camera uh, and said why don't you go around and take photos of everybody and I can't remember all the photos I took I know I took one of Matthew outside the TARDIS um, and then again we'll get people to sign those so not again not just the stock um, photographs that I send out to people who wrote in uh, but photos I took myself I, rem- I remember feeling very awkward about being on the studio set and actually taking photographs <laughs> and thinking god I hope someone doesn't think I've made this up <laughs> but um, yeah so I did it and I took this stuff back and so the, the insurance guy came round and brought his nephew with him and, um, and told him what I did and gave him the annual and gave him the photographs and Showing the signatures of you know Matthew and Lala and Tom and uh, John Leeson and that and um, he was uh, he was absolutely over the moon you know again a little the power of Doctor Who that that you know a little kid I think he was I think he was about nine or ten at the time brilliant gesture and again but that again was John because um, I, I hadn't I hadn't I hadn't gone down and said to him should we do this I just mentioned to him oh, I you know I know this little boy through someone else who's got Down syndrome is a is a big Doctor Who fan. Uh, and that was his reaction to it was to go and get that stuff and get the camera uh, and do that for him Love, lovely lovely bloke lovely bloke and I, th- I think uh, he he um, he did he did some superb things when he took over the show at a time when from my money it was, it was getting a little uh, a little too silly I, I would say um, uh, he, he, he changed tack uh, had an idea what he wanted the stories, where he wanted the program to go, and what he wanted it to be. Um, and I, th- I think he did a really good job. Uh, we all know that you know he wanted to get away uh, before he eventually did at the end of Sylvester's time. Um, and I, I strongly feel if he'd been there for three years um, and moved on, he'd be far more fondly remembered by more people. Than, than he seems to be, but he deserves to be very, very fondly remembered by everybody who cares anything about the show um, for uh, what he did when he took over in the ensuing years. 
Well, that's brilliant. I, I promised to limit my guest's time to uh, 20 minutes, so I didn't uh, uh, spend too, take too much time out of their precious lives. So I have two questions. Um, one would be, as a Doctor Who fan, Andrew, uh, and you're conversant with the challenge I have set myself, who would you like me to find an interview? Max Fermit. OK, well, I have an address, actually, but that would be, that would be two full-circle anecdotes, but I'll do it just Aww. for you. Although I'm not sure if we can count Megloss, because you did mention Megloss. Mm. So maybe on day 364, if I haven't tracked down Crawford Logan, you're, giving, you're getting counted as a Megloss anecdote. <laughs> I was also... <laughs> if it helps with the story count, I was also on set for Resurrection of the Daleks and The Creature from the Pit, and I've got the script for The Twin Dilemma. <laughs> You should have given it back. Um, uh, and secondly, and finally, uh, of, of these uh, end questions, what would your message be to all the Doctor Who fans out there uh, in this 50th year of Doctor Who? Uh, n- never forget how good the show is and how very lucky we are that we've got the programme with us 50 years on from 1963. Uh, uh, we should appreciate we've got it and... Um, I can't wait to see what happens with it in the rest of the year. We're recording this at the very start of 2013. I'm sure there are very many surprises ahead of us, and it'll be a landmark year, but uh, we're all going to love it. Well, thank you for your time, Andrew Smith. Well, my sincere thanks to Andrew there for his time, enthusiasm and for going Dutch on the comestibles, which is extremely generous of him. Indeed, his generosity goes further because we came up with the idea of asking you if you've enjoyed this podcast, bearing in mind the interviewees do not get paid, I do not get paid and Big Finish do not charge you. to ask each of the interviewees to nominate a charity and if you could give even a pound if all of those listeners out there this podcast gave a pound who knows maybe maybe five pounds could uh, could benefit a good cause and andrew has nominated the lily foundation which you can find at www.thelilyfoundation.org.uk. That is Lily with one L. Well, two L's, but one in the middle. Um, uh, They can also be found on Twitter at at 4LilyFoundation, but 4 is the number 4. Again, Lily is L-I-L-Y. A very good cause. Do have a look at their website. Uh, No obligation, but if you can. Um, So, next time, sneak peek... Uh, We've got another writer, but is he just a writer, or is he more of a renaissance man? And is he a writer from the Tom Baker era? No, because we don't do that on Toby Heddock's Who's Rand. We'll try and juggle the eras, but it's going to be the first one done by Skype. Because my victim, yes, I, yes, I'm still calling them victims. In fact, this one, this one's actually taken a restraining order out on me, so that I can't be in the same country as him, which is why we're having to, for the very first time, uh, record the interview on Skype, uh, which is being done this week. So tune in for that, and uh, uh, I'll leave you on a fact, as uh, I won't to do uh, this outro. Just before I came to record it, uh, I actually saw a piece of the mind of evil being colourised, or touched up, or recoloured, or whatever they call it, because that process is being done in the very building in which I speak these words now, and I have just seen a wall of rainbow be transformed into the wall of a prison, a prison of course being much better uh, for housing 
thuggish felons than than a rainbow is. So, uh, so yes, there we go. There's a, a fact. Not a very interesting one, but it's it's true. So, um, tune into the next one. Keep supporting this. Thanks to Big Finish, and uh, I'll speak to somebody else next week. Oh, yes, but just a reminder. I need your help. If you go onto my blog at www.tobyhaydoke.com, there's a piece on my blog that'll show all the Doctor Who stories I have to get first-hand anecdotes of. The ones I've covered so far are in red, and everything else is in black, and you'll see that the black-to-red ratio is rather heavily in black's favour. So if you could point anyone in my direction who's been in Doctor Who, hopefully, at the rate we're going, I could do with somebody who's been in about 147 stories and has... Uh, about very pithy two-minute anecdotes about each and every one of them. Uh, but uh, if not, keep listening, and uh, I'll do my best to uh, make sure that the quest is the quest. Cheerio. Habiento. Bye-bye. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who. The Wrong Doctors Peas pottage hot Peas pottage cold Peas pottage in the pot Nine days old Melody Jane Bush I sense her Shouldn't you be off travelling with a future doctor? That's what the other you said When he left me here to meet you I mean, not you Some other you So my other self is walking into a trap All you've done wiped from existence Everything Deleted from the timelines. Destroyed again and again. The readings are off the scale. The Valanxium's disintegrating. The toll must be paid. How right you are. Here, Mardak. <laughs> Down you go. Oh, he killed Derek. The raving, starving parasites of the Vortex will feast on you. Listen. They're coming! No! Run, Doctor! Run! <laughs> How delicious! A Time Lord who's run out of time! We seem to be trapped inside a very large bomb! Just press down on this here handle. Oh, Mel. I'm so, so sorry. Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com.